good. We um, are in our study of the Beatitudes. Specifically, we're in a study of the Sermon on the Mounts, but concentrating these few weeks on the Beatitudes. If you turn in your scriptures to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It's on page 809 in your pew Bible. Let us hear the Word of God. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, he uh, the disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, And thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. And persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, now we come to see the Spirit move in the Word that we might, O God, be blessed and taught that we might be a new and a different people transformed by the working of the Holy Spirit through your great and mighty word. Open our ears that we may hear and our eyes that we may see. In your name we pray, amen. We've subtitled this series, The God Who Sees, Speaks, Sees, and Saves. That Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount and in these Beatitudes, comes to us and doesn't just look upon us as though he was indifferent towards us, but literally sees us. And I said last week, and it bears repeating again, that this word sees is is a word more than just observes us but a word that means he perceives us, that he understands what he's looking at, that he knows the ins and the outs of whatever his vision is cast upon, that that he knows you and he knows me. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what our needs are. He knows what our futures hold. And collectively, he saw this crowd and he sees you and I with complete knowledge of who we each are individually. But he doesn't just ignore what he sees. He speaks into it. And we have taken note in these Beatitudes that the very first thing that Jesus speaks to those who are his disciples is this. Blessings. Great favor. Joyfulness. Not, look at what a mess you are. Look how you've blown it. What's wrong with you? No, not at all. He comes and he he perceives and he looks at each one of us and he goes, 
Blessed. Blessed are you. And then he goes into what it is and what it means to be saved. And he lays out these beatitudes. And we've talked about this. That like the fruit of the Spirit, these are character traits of those who follow Jesus. And he sets a standard. He says the standard is this. This is what you will look like as my disciples. This is what you look like as my followers. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. That's the one we'll look at today. But he also said, blessed are you in poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And remember we talked about that being a present tense verb, that right now, even in this moment, as you and I understand the poverty of who we are, we have the assurance of knowing that our riches are in Christ. And because of that, the kingdom of heaven is ours. Even immediately so, we have access to the throne room right now. And blessed are those who mourn. We look at our our sinfulness, we look at our brokenness, we look at this world, we look at this life, and you remember we we said we take a look at this and then we're sorrowful over it. We look and we bring it to Jesus for comfort. And in the bringing of that, these mourning things to, to Jesus and receiving comfort, we also give comfort to others with the same comfort that we have received. Because we realize that in coming to Jesus in our mourning, we have received the Comforter who indwells us, the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When we realize that we have been bestowed this great incarnational ministry of the Holy Spirit within our lives, it doesn't cause us to puff up in pride and to look down on others, but it causes us to understand in humility and in grace that we've only received this by the grace of God. And therefore, we understand we live totally in dependency upon Christ himself. We come to today's beatitude, today's message. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is one of those beatitudes that if we don't stop and we just read through it, we'll miss the major weight of actually what's being said. What does it mean for us to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, as we talked before, and you're hopefully becoming well aware of what this word blessed means, that it means you're fortunate, that you're highly favored, that you have been given a view of something that gives you this opportunity to find its solution, that you and I have not been presented with problems or with challenges that have no solution, but that the Holy Spirit brings us to a place where we recognize There's a problem, but there's also a great solution. And Jesus says, in light of that, understand this is who you are. You're favored to be able to see the solution. But what's the problem? Hunger and thirst. I think the first thing we need to understand about what it means to hunger and thirst is is what this word hunger and thirst really mean. They are emphatic descriptions of what you might image when you see someone out in the desert on their last few steps, so thirsty that they'd they'd give an arm, they'd give a leg just for a drink of water, for just a drop. 
And this is a, the message that Jesus is conveying here, or someone who's not eaten in days, someone who has not had any kind of food or sustenance for a long time, and there's a desperation, there's a seeking for something to fill them with, to give them some kind of nourishment, because they're in pain, they are starved for something. And that's what Jesus is talking about, that you understand to hunger and to thirst for righteousness as as essential to eternal life as food is to our natural life. That this righteousness that Jesus talks about is the only means by which we can have an eternal life. We're so focused, and that's why Jesus would tell us that man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That we've got to get our priorities a little bit straight here. That yes, the things of this world like food and water, they're important to the life of flesh. They're necessary for the life of flesh. But there's something much more important than our flesh. And it's that part of us which bears the image of God, that spiritual part of us that lives forever. It's that part of us that cannot live, cannot flourish, cannot fully know life without righteousness. And Jesus says it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit within us that leads us to this hunger, that leads us to this thirst, that leads us to the desperation of understanding. That we must hunger for that, we must seek that out, we must find it as best we can because it's essential to living. You know that, right? You know that there is no eternal life, but only eternal damnation without righteousness. It begs the question, what are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? Well, when we look at the world around us, we find people that are hungry and thirsty, not just for food, not just for water, but also for wealth, also for nice cars, also for status, also for power, also for money, also for control. Also for anywhere you can fill in the blank that you've seen people who are willing sometimes to sell out their family for whatever it is that they worship the most in life. We see it on TV in our political battles, do we not? People who are hungering and thirsting for power so much so that they'll lie on any side of the aisle just to stay in power. How money drives our government. How money drives our own lives. How we envy those who have that kind of power over us or have that kind of status over us. How sometimes we lay awake at three in the morning worrying, will that status, will that power, will that money be taken away? 
What are we hungry for? Jesus says you're favored when you're not hungering for the things of the flesh, but you're hungering for things of the Spirit. A righteousness that the flesh cannot attain. Because then, then and only then can you be satisfied. You and I have a dilemma in this life. We're encapsulated in fallen flesh. Flesh that we inherited from our father and our mother, Adam and Eve. Flesh that if we had been Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing with. And yet, because we have come to Christ, we have a renewed and a reborn spirit within us that lives forever. And those two are at battle with one another. And Jesus, as he comes to us, even as we are a crowd of people this morning, he sees us and he sees the conflict. And he speaks clearly to you and to me. You've been so hungry and you've been so thirsty. Maybe for the wrong things. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness because you'll be satisfied. Our problem is this. In the flesh, we cannot get satisfied. Look at any addiction that might be out there, whether it's addiction to a bottle or addiction to a needle or addiction to a computer screen, addiction to money, addiction to any of the things we've just mentioned. Look at those things. Why are they addictions? You're addicted to them. We are addicted to them because we can't find satisfaction in them. We continue to go back and forth to them over and over and over and over again because we can't get satisfied. It's a dilemma that the human brain physically has that as we indoctrinate things that create our brains to feel good, endorphins that make our brains rush, We crave it more and more and more. And the more we crave it, the more we get used to it. And the more we get used to it, the bigger intensity we need for it. And so we're caught in this this place of we can't ever get enough in the flesh. Think about it. Think about if your object is food. I know every once in a while, that big cowboy steak, that ribeye, inch and a half thick, medium well, some garlic butter over the top of it. Ooh, baby. And at the end of it, find the couch. I am happy and I am satisfied. Let about six hours go by. Looking for another ribeye. Because the first one just wasn't enough. You see, there's a physical craving that I have, that I have to have for food. And Jesus says you and I are to have the same spiritual craving that we can't live without righteousness. 
what is this righteousness? Well, there's two definitions, really. One is man-made or self-righteousness, and the other is an alien righteousness, and a righteousness that can only come from an outside source. There's either a, a righteousness, there are righteous acts, there are, are things we try to do that we create within ourselves, or we realize there has to be some outside source that gives us a righteousness. What does this word righteousness mean? Well, it means perfection. It means that which is absolutely right. Therein lies the problem, right? I just don't know how to get it all right. I don't have the ability to get it all right. My flesh will never come to a place where it gets it all right. And yet, oftentimes that's what I rely on the most, is my ability to get it all right. That if I can just make myself be something, then I can find approval. And if I can get myself just one more something than you have, not only do I have approval, but I get to be the judge. And I get to have some more power. And then therein lies my fall. And you get in an endless cycle of trying to strive for a righteousness that can never be satisfied. can never be perfectly right. I look back and I think through the scriptures of what's, what is the problem? And it's the problem of Cain and Abel, right? It's the problem that Cain had with his offering. You remember Cain and Abel in, in Genesis where, where Abel brings a blood offering. Abel realizes, there, I have no righteousness of my own. I have to find something. I have to give life for life. There's nothing I can produce with my own hands. There's no place in my heart that I can find that could satisfy what's required in the offering to a holy, holy, holy God. There must be life for life. Cain's issue was, I'll give God whatever I think's good to give God. I'll give God my stuff. I'll give God whatever. It's the problem of the whole book of Job, isn't it? Where Job, for almost 30 chapters, justifies himself before the Lord and, and tells himself, God, you have no right to make me feel this way. You have no right to put me through these things. You have to look at my record. Look at what a good guy I've been. Only come to come face and face with the righteous God and realize he should vaporize himself. It's the rich young ruler in the Gospels. Look at my righteousness, Christ. What more do I need to do? Sell all that you have and follow me. It's the problem of the Pharisees. Jesus telling the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you have no part of the kingdom of heaven. 
Ezekiel 33 talks about how Israel tries to rely on their own righteousness, but they will die in it. Romans 3.27 says that righteousness and, and the flesh will not get us anywhere. The same with Titus 3.5. Because what is required is this. A right righteousness. A perfect righteousness. A righteousness that fallen flesh can and never will obtain in its own efforts. When you and I can come to that realization, when you and I can come to that place, when you and I can realize that we are hopeless in our own flesh, and we need and hunger righteousness from an outside source to come into us, Jesus says, You are fortunate. When you and I realize that the only destiny we have without intervention is hell. Jesus says, bless are you because I've got something to feed you. I've got something that will satisfy you. It is God's righteousness. I will give you, Jesus speaking, my righteousness in exchange for your flesh. Why is it required? It's required because God is holy, holy, holy. That to dwell with, to talk to, to have relationship with, to sing to, to play music to, to speak to, to be blessed by. We too must have righteousness to stand before Him, to be engaged with Him. That there is, there is no relationship with a righteous God unless we too are righteous. It's the most important thing that any follower of Christ must come to. That without perfect righteousness, there is no relationship with God. Without perfect righteousness, there is no relationship with God. You and I can gather together and say, hey... We know we're good folks. We're from the Northeast. We've, we founded this country after all. We can look at our status all day long. See, we're good folks. But you know, in comparison to those other folks out there, we, we're not so bad. We're at the right we're of the right political party and persuasion after all. And just if everybody else would think like I think, it'd all be perfect. After all. That kind of righteousness will lead you and I straight through the back doors of this church into the front doors of the gates of hell. 
because we do not and will not have a relationship with God Almighty. We've talked about this recently, and I'm afraid we've lost what it means to have a fear of the Lord. What does it mean for you and I to gather in the throne room this morning to see the vision that Isaiah saw in his chapter 6, to see the temple, the holy place of God to be filled with his robe, to come before one who's so majestic that even his own prophet says, I'm unclean and I live amongst an unclean people. To cry out, woe is me, oy vey, I am undone. I, I have zero hope because I'm before the living God. If you and I lost that that's what happens here today on every Lord's Day, that we as His people come together in a holy gathering before Him in the throne room to stand before Him and sing praises. Have we forgotten that? Or are we hungry and thirsty to be there? And coming to the same place as Isaiah, that unless you burn me with holy fire, O God, I cannot stand. That holy fire that the seraphim took over to the lips of Isaiah, that hot coal is the hot coal of the burning blood of Jesus Christ on your soul and on mine that purifies us with His righteousness that allows us to interact with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's necessary because God is righteous. And without His righteousness, there is no relationship. We're not a religious club. There is no functioning body of Christ out there that is a religious club. Certainly are there are those here gathered in this room today that don't know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. There are those who think that there's a relationship with Christ, but there's no fruit coming forth from the life that I have a relationship with Christ. And yet you and I, by the Word of God, are under a holy conviction from the Holy Spirit that tells us that unless there's a righteousness that indwells you apart from yourself, there's no relationship to be had. That's why it's so necessary that you and I get this. It's so necessary that you and I have a hunger for it. It's so necessary that we come to the realization and the revelation That the only hope for life is an alien righteousness. And the only perfect alien righteousness that could come to us to allow us to be with a perfect God is the righteousness of Christ.
our lives must be transformed. Our way of thinking, our way of vision, our worldviews must be transformed. How do we find it? Well, it's not so much of how do we find it, but being found by it. You remember the words of our Lord in the Scriptures? If you hear the word of the Lord today, the voice of the Lord today, do not harden your heart. The Spirit calls out to you and to me right now in this spot and in this place. You are found. The God who sees, the God who speaks, and the God who saves is speaking to you right now. Asking, what are you hungry for? What have you been thirsty for? What's driving you? And saying to you and to me, hunger and thirst for my righteousness. And I will satisfy you. It's not something we find, it's something we receive. Martin Luther put it this way, that the righteousness of God is like this. Not that we run for it, not that we stretch out for it, not that we work for it. But we are more like the earth that receives rain that falls upon it. That we lie there and we receive that which is ours to receive from Christ through the means of faith. That you and I must lay out before God like the earth would lay out before God receiving rain and say, God, wash me with your righteousness. Water me down with the, with the deluge of your love upon me. God, give me all of who you are that I might stand with you forever. When we do that, we receive the indwelling of His righteousness as sealed by the Holy Spirit within us to be forever renewed. And what happens? We become mirrors of the tree of life within this world, bearing forth eternal and celestial fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, forbearance, self-control. That this righteousness that indwells us changes us. In fact, so much so that our only hope for real change, our only hope from freedom, from our addictions, our only hope from freedom from our decaying flesh is that power, that self-control 
that the Holy Spirit gives us to overcome with. I'm convinced that every human being is driven to find love. We are restless to know what love is. We come hardwired to be loved and to be loving. Every human being, I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're in Beijing or if they're in Moscow or if they're in New York City or in East Glenville or in Jacksonville, Florida. Every single human being comes hardwired to know love. How do I know that? Because every single being is created in the image of God. And as Augustine would say, we are all restless in that search until we find our rest in Him. In other words, another way to put it, we are all dissatisfied. Everything is inadequate. Every place leads me to emptiness except that which is from Him. And when you and I get there, when you and I understand it, we are satisfied in Him. And we find freedom to be all that we are created to be by Him and for Him. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. But it's a past tense or future tense satisfaction. What does that mean? That means that we are tasting this satisfaction more and more and more as we live in Him. But a day is coming when we will be completely at shalom. Completely satisfied. Completely full. Completely at peace. Completely out of pain. Completely at rest. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst. You've got a great future of satisfaction out there. Let's pray and let's join the journey. Lord, even this morning,